any type of virology samples typically can be frozen if if you don't have things ready to ship or you want to ship on a more appropriate day like a earlier in the week to make sure they right. get there timely. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Karen Grogan. I'm your host today for the Poultry Podcast Show. Um, We have a repeat guest today, Dr. Dan Wilson of Wilson Vet Co., um, which is a private poultry, um, you consider yourself a consortium or a consulting practice. How do you label yourself, Dan? Independent veterinarians. Independent veterinarians. A team of wonderful independent veterinarians um, that mostly work within the layer industry here in in the U.S. Um, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. Um, So uh, Dan and I are going to cover a topic today that... um, I deal with on a daily basis because I work uh, associated with a diagnostic lab. And then Dan is a end user of a frequent user of diagnostic labs in different states. And as veterinarians, we both know that sample collection, sample quality, and, um, you know, requesting the right test, um, all of those things are really important in getting good diagnostics. So, um, Dan, what are your, uh, let's start with um, sample collection, because that's where we need to start, maybe. What are your guidelines for, like, either the techs you're training or sort of your farm managers? Um, What are you looking for? What sort of hallmarks of disease do they tell you, do you tell them, hey, I need you to call me when X happens? Yeah, so uh, other times, uh, other presentations outside of the this podcast, you know, we bring this up topic up a lot presenting to clients or doing industry presentations. It's kind of one of our things as we qualify ourselves as independent veterinarians, but we really like to call ourselves field field poultry veterinarians because we're the equivalent of the, the boots on the ground, seeing the flocks, um, training people on the farms. And so I do always tell people one of the main things whenever we go to a farm and what we want our people on the farms or service technicians to be prepared for is to take a lot of samples. So a lot of that goes back to supplies. Uh, whenever I roll into a farm, I think people chuckle at how much stuff I bring with me. Of course, uh, a good poultry vet could show up with a, a nice knife or a set of shears and do pretty good work. But 
you know, when you've driven multiple hours to the middle of nowhere uh, and you don't have the right supplies, that's always, <laughs> always disappointing right. when there was one right. specific thing you needed and you didn't have it, whether that be like, oh, I really need to bleed these birds or I need, you know, sterile swabs or whirl packs, like starting with the basics of always having the supplies is always a big deal for us. Livonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonic's focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. Okay, so that's a good place to start. We're going to build a kit either to leave on a farm or to have with you. So you said some good shears, a good knife. What's next? Well, you got to qualify good for a uh posting shears or a knife so that's True. one thing we we see a lot of places <laughs> is, that has their own specifications of what they really like well ours might be a whole nother level since we do thousands of <laughs> a birds lot. a year but right uh even for the average person just doing a few birds occasionally you know we see people that have at least they had some effort to get something but you know the craft scissors from a mm-hmm. hobby lobby or right uh, whatever they could find at the closest convenience store. And, you know, it couldn't cut through a piece of paper if you wanted it to. So <laughs> start yeah, with a nice, really nice pair of scissors. Yeah. So. At least kitchen sheet. Like if you can find kitchen shears, like they're meant to cut through bone. Like that is the, the minimum. Um, I, I have gotten onto ones that have like almost a spring in the middle like almost spring-loaded, um, they cut really well through bone. So definitely something good to get them open and open safely without cutting yourself. <laughs> but then yeah. beyond yeah, that... Yeah, the prob- folding knives. I've known people that have cut themselves on the ones that fold back. So, yeah, not the safety with the knives. Probably the basics. You know, we'd always like people to have stuff with them to bleed birds. Um Right. Uh, whatever yes. your favorite preference of bleeding method and, and blood uh, collection from that. But, um, you know, the basics for actually on the farm, we really like layer service people to have at least a little bit of formalin um, mm-hmm. and then basic sampling bags, whether that be world packs. And if they don't have that, at least, you know, clean, clean new Ziploc type bags. Eating the new Ziplocs, yes. Not one that's been reused from your launch. Yeah, that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Then we like to have, uh, in the in the layer world, especially with cage-free emerging diseases, we really like people to have uh, transport culture tubes, so culture swab type materials so they can take a swab if they need to on uh, a sterile, with a sterile culture at, um, Right. Those are a thing we recommend. Now, if they're if they're your clients, do you provide those to them? Like they may not be readily available. Can clients go get those from a local diagnostic lab? Like, you know, just kind of need to come from a medical supply place. I feel like I should have had these here as demos or something. 
Uh, uh, that's okay. I think I everybody mean, knows what those are. So, so like a culturette kind of swab that has the swab, and then there's a transport, like a soaked sponge at the bottom that helps keep the bacteria alive. Right. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, we distribute them to our clients, okay. and we actually put together our own posting kits if, if people Perfect. are interested. Relief. Yeah. Um, and then some also, you know, we'll give them part numbers uh, where they right. can buy them Order. or get them from some supplier. It can be, that can be one of the stickier, you know, subjects because sometimes you need, you have to have a business address to ship them to. Right. We found, <laughs> we all work from our homes and yeah. some of the supply companies aren't too keen on sending, even though they're safe materials, you know, you have to right. have a proper address to get them to. And um, sometimes for setting up the account, they ask some strange questions because they're more typical for diagnostic labs. Or right. Diagnostic labs. Medical labs. Doctors offices or, uh, Yeah. So you may get those questions, but definitely some people buy them, you know, to have their own little stash. Formalin, some kind of a bag. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're moving into the molecular era, right? Um, so what kind of, um, you know, we'll, we'll take samples that are, that are going for that, like especially sometimes swabs. Um, and I, I feel like that's one area that gets confused a lot is if you, if you are going to send samples for a PCR, um, you know, and you're doing like tracheal swabs or, or things like that, like it, it's, it's a specific type. Um, so how do you help clients get that? Again, that supplied in your kit or you get those locally from a diagnostic lab? It usually depends on the state um, and what the state prefers, the field service people to do, of course, in a world of high path AI, they may need special state blessings to do such things. Um, but, you know, at this time, you know, we encourage everyone to have either uh, BHI with them or within an easily retrievable, you know, distance uh, so that they have that ready, you know, somewhere at a stock stock location within a pretty easy drive or, you know, in, in the case of a mid to large size layer farm, actually have an inventory on hand. Right. Have like the testing kits with the right swabs, BHI media. Yeah. I think most, at least for us um, in Georgia, like that's available through our state, um, state lab system. Um, we're lucky we have a poultry specific one, but I think the other Nolan labs, you can get those like kind of already like a pre-assembled kit. Um, yeah. yeah. So that makes it easier. Okay. So Shipping coolers and frozen ice packs. Oh, this okay, is like why do you have to keep it cold, Doctor Dan? Before we fly, you know, if we're flying for farm visits, you know, that's something. Sometimes we send supplies ahead, and I always make people promise me you have shipping coolers and ice packs that are ready, actually frozen and ready to be used, right? Because it seems like that should be something some people that's would not think intuitive. through. But no, you'll go through. Uh, you know, six hours of sampling flocks and be like, Hey, we need to get these to overnight shipping tonight. And people look at each other like in what, or, <laughs> Oh, I have ice packs, but they're um, sitting in the back warehouse shelf. <laughs> yeah. So. I've had to stop and buy a bag of ice in different places before. Yeah. Sure. You have too. Um, so what, what types of samples do we need to keep cold and why? Well, I guess it depends on your proximity to, to being able to ship. You know, some places in the country are places to ship from are a lot readily available, more readily available to poultry right. locations. If you're in the middle of, you know, 
certain small towns in Nebraska or Iowa, it might take you a couple hours to get to somewhere where you can get to a FedEx drop location. Right. Right. Or UPS. Yeah. Or UPS. Sorry. <laughs> Not to slight UPS. FedEx or UPS. Yeah. So, uh, you know, typically most of our bacteriology samples, if they can't go out the same day, you know, basic refrigeration until most convenient uh, within reason is, is what we have people do with bacteriology samples or serum. Um, there's no rush to get those out the door unless they're for, uh, you know, regulatory purposes. And then most of the virology related um, topics like uh, bronchitis genotyping panels or any type of virology samples typically can be frozen if, if you don't have things ready to ship or you want to ship on a more appropriate day, like a earlier in the week to make sure they right. get there timely. Excellent point too. Don't ship things on a Thursday for it to arrive on a Friday and then it's going to sit all weekend. Yes. We try to send that message out as much as we can. So ship diagnostic samples Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and even can. if you can, if possible, we, you know, we realize sometimes it happens, but, but like you said, certain things are more, you know, there is some priority to, to certain samples. Um, you know, clearly if you are suspecting a reportable disease, that decision is going to come down to the state and they are going to do those tests like the same day. Right. Um, there are certain things we, you know, and that those have to go to certain, um, laboratories. So that's a, that's a, a regulated type of event. Um, but then, you know, even, even for, within our, our framework of how poultry works, there are certain things that we would test for, like for moving birds. Um, maybe not so much, I don't know, um, you know, if we're going to move like uh, embroidered breeders, we're going to move some males, you need to test them. Um, so sometimes those are time sensitive, um, you know, results. And, and again, shipping them within an appropriate amount of time. Um, to get those samples back. So I was trying to think of an appropriate layer example, but I feel like mm-hmm. that no, don't take this the wrong way, but maybe things birds just get moved and then it's like, Oh wait, these were should have tested these, but it's okay. Yeah. I think with, with shipping companies to tread lightly, I, I think they do a phenomenal job minus Minus weather, minus potential strikes and right. other sorts of things. But you do have to be really careful that you ask lots of the right questions um, or, or hopefully right. even know your delivery person really well to trust them because we've been bit multiple times dropping them off at locations that said that they're going to be. You know, if you don't ask, yeah. you know, they may like, oh, well, the truck already came today or right. uh, today they're not going to come or there's lots of different little caveats with shipping like oh they only come on two days a week so some of the the more local places don't always understand the urgency like you know this is a very important sample so i I need to make sure it gets out i'd rather take it with me if if you don't think it's going to make it out today it's just it's always stuff that's out of your hands but the more questions you ask the more (laughs) the more hopefully you can avoid lost samples or delayed samples. Absolutely. You want to know what's going that day. Yeah. So, so we can, we can hold things like serum or or bacteriology samples. So our, our viral testing tends to be, you know, and maybe mycoplasmas, they fall on their own special 
own special category. Um, so those are our focus and things that needed to need to be handled with care and either frozen or refrigerated. Um, and it, but I'm, I'm going to rewind for just a second in terms of serum quality, you know, serum is like the, the product that we get off of the blood sample that you send. So, um, so you send someone out to the farm and they say, Hey, I want you to go bleed, you know, house two, they collect the blood, they leave it sitting on their dash and the sunshine for a couple of days, and then they mail it to the diagnostic lab. Is that a good way to handle it? No. And that, this should be your subject to talk more about, but no? uh, maybe it's more of a layer specific thing or something that we, we typically train all of our companies to send in only poured off serum. Um, occasionally we find out farms, you know, forgot or weren't trained and ship in whole blood, which can be used, but you know, the, the yeah, jostling of shipping. Clot. It's going to clot in the process. It, it's better if you do pour off the serum. Right. Right. So how do you train your, uh, people to, to get good quality serum? Most layers provide pretty good yield on serum, um, especially birds, you know, middle-aged and right. you know, in lay, they're drinking lots of fluids and they yield pretty good serum. Sometimes pullets and older layers tend to be a little less hydrated and yield less serum for a variety of reasons. But when we have people collecting serum, we always, for one, we try to, you know, give them a list of the best tubes that they can use for more. Do you recommend those area. little plastic bullet tubes? So we use, what we use as the vets and what we tell people to use are the beaded tubes. Oh, okay. So there's tubes with silicone beads mm-hmm. and it helps with the surface area of right. the tube and get more yield off of that. We tell people never to put the samples in your pockets. So mm-hmm. either a little cardboard box or some kind of tray, if you can lay the sample flat and try not to touch it for the first few minutes, that really helps the clot set sideways where in the past we've had people like, I'm just going to walk the chicken house and just stick them in right. my chest pocket or my pocket. pant pocket. And then you're climbing the cages to catch birds, running after birds or just the walking itself. And that jostling while the clot's setting is not making it work out the well as well as it could in the end. And then, you know, if you do all of those things, right, you can get pretty good yield right. within a few hours. So we do, pe- we do tell people to generally leave it overnight just to get the best full yeah. yield off of it but and then pour it off room temperature right right yes so set the blood i like the laying it down that definitely gets better clot formation if you can leave it overnight room temperature and then pour the serum the it's a straw colored fluid that'll form over the clot that's what we run you know a majority of diagnostic tests on and then how do you handle the serum afterwards? Well, I don't know if this one's written in stone, but, you know, once you have the serum poured off, assuming it was collected pretty clean and it, the sample's, you know, kind of translucent, uh, yellow, mm-hmm. uh, we, we tell people you can leave it in refrigeration for maybe up to a week. And yep. then um, if you're going to leave it beyond that and try to ship things together, you can freeze it with the caveat of MG plate testing, which right. a lot of no, get no frozen serum MG plate tested. So, you know, yes. making sure they understand they can't either can't run that or can't trust the result entirely as a plate test itself. But right. yeah, so we have people that 
obviously shipping is sometimes a lot more than the serology cost itself. So if you have a lot of flux that need to be submitted at once for some, some routine serology, you can kind of uh, collect things over a few weeks and ship them in clusters. If it's not going to be some kind of compliance testing or just running a lot, right. If it's more for just routine baselines and things that can be saved and shipped together as a group. Okay. So we covered that blood sampling quality. I think that's one that gets, um, we, we still, even though I think there's a lot of people out there educating to, to, to send good samples, we still get our fair share of either you, it's sometimes there's just not the volume is too small. So they don't take those extra steps to get good separation of the clot and, um, in the serum. So they just get a very small amount or they didn't get a good, you know, blood draw the first time, um, just didn't get enough sample. So then we end up, you know, maybe barely enough to, to run, you know, whatever tests need to be run. It's always better to send extra serum. Like don't, you know, try to send as little as possible, like send everything to the diagnostic lab because you never know if something needs to, some test needs to be repeated. And then, at least every diagnostic lab I know, like we, we kind of bank samples for a while so that mm-hmm. if like, say you get the results, you're like, you know what, that isn't really what I was expecting. Can you do X, Y, and Z? If we have another test, we can run on the serum. Like, let's say you did the plate test. Oh, I don't know. Let me, let's run it on Eliza. Like if you just yeah. ordered one serologic test, sometimes you can, so send as much serum as you have. Don't just, you know, meter it out, send it all. Yeah. So, yeah, we still sometimes get bad samples, but not not as frequently as we used to. One we get questions about a lot is formalin fixed samples, mm-hmm. which on the layer world, uh, we don't do as much as I probably used to, but definitely, you know, for ruling out wet pox versus uh, right. LT versus LT. bacterial tracheitis, you know, that's still a still a gold standard in addition to, to PCRs and such, but uh, we get that question almost feels like every time of whether it needs to be refrigerated and frozen. And so we always coach people through, you know, once it's in the jar, it's pretty actually better to be left. Once it's in the jar, it can sit there forever. Yes. <laughs> once it's in formalin, it can stay there. I think the, the thing that most people do wrong in that is the ratio is you need a very small piece, like, you know, a centimeter by like a small chunk of tissue. Um, you know, if you send in a big piece of liver or something, it's not going to fix, you know? So if you have a smaller formalin jar, you just need little take multiple small pieces instead of the big chunk. Um, I think that's the main, the the thing we see from a diagnostic labs is the error is that things don't fix. Um, so that formalin has to kind of leach into the tissue and get all the way in, you know, so that then it can be, then it gets embedded in the paraffin wax and then it gets sliced and stained. And then the pathologist can actually like diagnose if it's wet pox or LT or, you know, a bacterial infection. So um, that is the biggest thing we see. Yeah, I think then you have people that do all of that right, but then... We also have concerns with it freezing, so right. they may not freeze Especially it on like purpose. in the winter. They might freeze it on purpose. Right. It's like stuck and it gets stuck on a FedEx plane or, yeah. I've had samples in my own truck, uh, and I'm in a Are hotel you? for the night, and I'm there at sitting at, like going to sleep at 
10 or 11 p.m. And I think, <laughs> like, oh, no, oh, no, my formalin samples are in my car and I've got to go get it out Oops. 11 p.m. or something. So that definitely yeah. can affect the quality and, and make a histopathologist confused yeah. or <clears throat> sad or mad. Right, so. right. We take our formalin jars and winterize them in the colder oh, months. Put a little antifreeze in it or something. We put a little bit of isopropyl alcohol in, oh. or a certain percent. That's what happens when bit. you live where it's cold, Dan. That was apparently a swine thing. So probably. Well, David Swain is like you know super smart, so he probably figures things out way before anybody else. That's an excellent tip. So if you're you know in our more northern climates or up in Canada winterize your formalin when t- so and the, the key there in terms of it freezing um and, and you kind of alluded to this it confuses the pathologist so when tissues are frozen and then thawed they degrade you know the, the tissue quality kind of breaks down so you really don't want to freeze it um that is less than ideal another topic we we try to coach people through when when collecting samples or doing farm postings and even ourselves, I mean, to, I have to remind myself like every, almost every week, once that bird is dead and you're sampling it, it's not going to be undead anymore. So <laughs> you need to make sure you sample everything you need to, to make your right. trip there, the, the, the euthanasia or death of the bird, the most valuable. And, you know, sometimes time is a limitation, but it really right. wants, you're really not spending that much money to collect something. So I always say try to sample everything but the cluck because things can always sit in a fridge for a few days or, yes. or sit in formalin for months. We call it a bird in a jar. Right? I don't know how many times, probably once in a month. Once a month, I think, why did I not take that? I, I thought about it, that. but yeah. now in retrospect, oh, no. I could have just, I already yeah. would have had it. Nobody has to go back to the farm. And so mm-hmm. that's a big, a big category. If there's any, any remote idea you have that crosses your mind while you're there, just take it and think about it on the drive home or yeah. ask the producer later, do you want to run this test? You're not spending anything mm-hmm. but a couple pennies for the, the bags or right. you know the culture swabs or something like that. So definitely worth sampling everything you think you may need and then some. I think that is is excellent advice because you it just like you said, like then you have to either make a return trip or have them, you know, bring like for us, bring more birds to the diagnostic lab. Um, you know, we that is excellent advice in terms of take anything you think. We have to clean out our freezers because we tend to do that in terms of we'll we'll save back like, oh, I'm gonna throw tracheas and kidneys and bursas and all this stuff into the freezer that I might want later and then, you know. Always feels better to be a sample hoarder. Right. And then when you go to clean it out, you know. I think oh, yeah, the formula okay. ones are the formula ones are the most interesting because you know they can stay in storage for so long. And right. when we go to discard those, sometimes it can be a year or two. And I think like, what was I even thinking? What did I <laughs> think this for? And a jar of like testicles or something. And I'm like, <laughs> what was what was the point of these? That's not really what you like. You don't see very many males in your lot of work working in layers. There are some. Okay. Oh, that's true. I guess you <laughs> yeah. do see some layer breeders. So right true um okay so uh, another thing that comes up a lot is like when you're trying to test things in the environment like water feed um you know sometimes we have people want to do things with 
you know, darkling beetles or so any advice on those types of samples? Have someone else do it. (laughs) Where should a feed sample come from? Like if you say, hey, I think this is something in the feed, where should you get the feed? Wherever the nutritionist tells you to. Okay. You're going to defer to the nutritionist? Come on. Just kidding. Yeah. I mean, some of those are a little opinion uh, opinion related. Like when it comes to feed, you know, depending on the severity of the problem, the nutritionist in likelihood would have their own right. you know, idea of feed mill samples or retained finished feed would be great. Um, as far as on the farm, definitely you get, uh, you know, people maybe call it, try to collect it in the wrong place where, you're trying to get an even representation of what the birds were fed. And so trying to pinch some out of a feed trough or some feed off of the floor or something obviously isn't really representative of the finished feed. So ideally a a representative from a a bin or somewhere uh, that hasn't been sorted through by the birds yet. Right. They pick out what they want. So then you don't see what the feed is. Right. And then the other thing that I feel like customers get frustrated with is, well, the feed came back perfectly normal. So how do you explain that to your clients? But you're convinced it's still something. I talked to the nutritionist. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. I feel like a lot of things that we may think, oh, you know, it's, you know, I, I just feel like they've consumed like, you know, the birds eat through and then you see, you know, whatever's happened. Like say there were high mycotoxins and you had a bunch of, you know, who knows, mouth lesions or whatever. You may, you may not find it. Like that stuff is so, um, you know, high levels at, at certain times and you just may miss it. That's the other thing that, that there's, and there's only certain labs that run certain tests. Um, when it comes to things like that, like feed or water analysis, like, make sure where you're sending things, they can actually do the test. That's the other, I think for most diagnostic labs only, you know, they either send it on to another lab. Um, They don't maybe necessarily have those in-house tests. So make sure that, make sure where you're sending things actually does the testing you want. Yeah. I think even in the 10 or so years that I've been a, a poultry vet, I feel like less and less that we attribute things to the feed. Maybe that's modernization of uh, feed mill equipment, Mm -hmm. batching systems and quality control methods and the mills. But, you know, most of those bigger nutrition problems are macro things. It's not as common that we see like this one flock tanks and it's something obvious like salt is way out of balance or they forgot limestone. Like, I mean, they do happen, but most of the, finesse type nutrition things i don't i don't think we see as, as much as some people want to believe right or blame blame the feed i guess yeah so we we see a lot more low-hanging fruit like management mm-hmm. basic diseases and those sort of things but True. that's me also staying away from nutrition and feeding because they're out of my <laughs> you're like, out of you're my like realm. it is not my thing um okay so now you you have your sampling your, your results are, are, are back. So in terms of keeping up with, with diagnostics, I know you're a, uh, you're a big database, um, you know, kind of person. How, how do you, for someone who's working with multiple companies like you do, <clears throat> you're getting reports from multiple labs. Um, how do you sort of track that 
um, for, do you track that for your clients? Do you help them set up a way to track it? Do you expect them to check the results? Like how does that then that second step happen? It really is company dependent. And, you know, if it's associated with a a regulatory program as well, you know, how much we're involved. Uh, We do have our own system that we track um, the progress of diagnostics and then the final diagnostic. And then the same system, we put all of our notes that we share back to the client if we put interpretations on it. Um, In an email, we also save them in our other system because we don't trust email as our primary (laughs) primary file source. It's not a record keeping system, no. But yeah, we definitely do that. And I know, you know, uh, PDRC is kind of, on the on the very beginning of a new system to do this cloud based. The very beginnings of a new cloud portal, yes. So hopefully more and more labs um, move that direction. I know personally our, our favorite labs have internet and cloud based lab tracking software to get case updates and that's extremely helpful and better than sitting, you know, for a week or two wondering where the status right. of a, a diagnostic is or or constantly bugging accessioning people where their results are and stuff. So those are definitely very helpful for us. I think technology is going to help on, on those systems for, you know, all, all diagnostic labs, not just specifically, but in terms of, you know, faster access. And, and I think the other thing is, you know, previous systems just emailed you, you know, tons of results. So then your email gets full and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. So having a, a portal where you just go in and, and you get your results. It just streamlines the accession process as well, especially yeah. if, if the veterinarian or, you know, some animal health professional is involved with the process, then there's less likelihood of the wrong tests being selected, right. money wasted or, time delays and getting the right thing tested and some of the better online submission portals, you know, we just basically can write down the case number and put it in the shipping box instead of like, Oh, I got to find a printer. I got to right. fill out this so form by hand goes in the box. Right. Nobody gets to see my handwriting. Cause now it's all nicely typed. And <laughs> sometimes we'll even ship stuff. And while the samples and shipment, I'll go in the form online and say, right. Oh, I actually wanted to add yeah. these tests before it gets there. So nice. I think those things really, really help prevent error in the, the accessioning process and make sure it's the right info for the flock and right. makes it back to the right owner and those sort of things. I have to tell a story about this because it, this came up Friday-ish, maybe? Maybe this is, on a it, Friday. this is Dr. Yuko's, Dr. Yuko mm-hmm. Sato's uh, story to tell, but she sent me this image. You know, they, everyone still receives a lot of handwritten right. um, accessions and I guess this person accidentally stacked some papers together. So they received a submission form for some type of bird. They also received their copy of a blueberry muffin recipe (laughs) attached to it. So it makes you chuckle a little bit, but definitely getting away from handwritten papers can can avoid uh, sending your blueberry muffin recipe in. By accident. Well, at least it was just a blueberry muffin recipe. It wasn't like, you know, your tax evasion (laughs) notice or... Like something really racy. Like I'm yeah. sure you guys have seen crazy things on submission forms. 
We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Working with nature and not against it. Chickens fed AX3 Digest consume significantly less feed and water to produce one pound of meat. Successful flock performance is determined during the first 10 days post-placement. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that most improved in barn performance, bird health, and a drier litter. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. Here's my, my personal pet peeve is the lack of information in a submission form. And I think that's what the electronic submission is going to help is that you will then be able to put in extra information. Like give me actual numbers when you say your mortality is increased. Are we talking 10 more birds per day or a hundred birds per day? Like this is what I need to know. All I get is high mortality. That is the vaguest history and you can talk to probably even Dr. Sato at Iowa State gets the same thing. Like it is so nonspecific and like, tell me what you're saying. I know you didn't just, you know, go based off of mortality. You know, I know that you, you are seeing something. So I think the electronic submissions will allow us, you know, you're going to be able to put in more detail and potentially allow, like you're saying, a veterinarian to type in the things because you would be at a desk and you're going to know what the service tech told you and you're going to be putting in the electronic submission. That I think is going to be invaluable in terms of then the labs can turn around and give you better results because, you know, it is bad information in that we're not going to give you what you're looking for. Um, So... To me, what I usually see that's usually more shocking is how things get submitted, like people, what people bring birds in. I have a picture somewhere stashed away. When I was a student, this guy brought his two silky chickens in in a Bud Light box. <laughs> so it's more of how things show was up at our door. Yeah, I, I, hopefully he didn't drink it on the drive there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so things like that. And then that... That is my other thing, because we are in a poultry area. We will have people bring us live birds and they'll put birds in a box and not cut like air holes. And that's another one of my pet peeves. Like, you know, if you if you want us to do, you know, just take care of them until we get there. If you're putting them in a cardboard box, give them a little oxygen. You know, I mean, there's a yeah, there's a gap at the top. But yeah, yeah, yeah. little little details like that, like that can, you know, just. It's how they show up sometimes. And the other thing to get good diagnostic, if you're in a drivable distance to a diagnostic lab or you have clients, is if you have something that is creating increased mortality, don't forget to bring us fresh dead birds too. Sometimes people will just bring live birds for a necropsy and they may not be affected. If you have something that's causing very acute mortality, then we may not see a thing because you pick the healthy birds. So bring me fresh, you know, not the ones from three days ago, fresh, 
you know, that morning's mortality and if you find affected birds. Because there are some things, it can happen so quickly, you may not have, you know, so that's my other tidbit. We can talk about this for hours. Instruction clarity is huge. Instruction clarity, very big. You think like, you sound like a broken record, maybe because we do this every week, but some people... You do? Uh, like an example for us to, to, to mirror that, we'll tell people like, I want to see 10 mortality. And that particular day, maybe they only had six. Yeah. And so the, the house person isn't told what that means. So they just make yeah. four more dead. They make four more dead. <laughs> you're like, They're going to cervically dislocate yeah. them and create the four because you said you want a 10. They're following yeah. directions. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is, and I don't know if, I feel like that there is a, um, as our industry is, is changing generationally, there is a lack of so almost like information transfer and carry down. We are just, you know, like the, the people that, you know, we kind of deal with different aspects of the industry, but the people that are out there every day, like there's just things that, you know, maybe I know you've only been at this 10 years ago, but I've been at this 20 years ago, like 20 years ago, they would have just known that and they would have just diagnosed it on the farm and I would not have had it as a submission. And so I, I don't know where that, like, do you feel like you see that on the layer side that just some of that like institutional knowledge is not getting passed along? I think though, and layers in everyone's defense, young or old or experienced or not, we're also going through this retransition true. back to cage free. We have a lot access. of changes going. Yeah. So, we, I think the same across other industries, you know, things, turkeys and broilers moving to organic and outdoor access. And maybe not to the percentage that layers are, but true. I mean, yeah. diagnosing gout and E. coli peritonitis and uh, pox, you know, those are basics that someone. 30 years ago could do really well, but now you're saying, well, that peritonitis might also be erysipelas, foul cholera, gallobacteria. You have all these crazy bacteria <laughs> that used to not see yeah. in cage layers. Come on now. They're not complicating yeah. at all. So we, I mean, in a way we have to encourage even more diagnostics than ever before, because I mean, we get fooled. I, I had a case this past month that I could have swore was foul cholera on the farm just straight up and it ended up being all pathogenic e coli so you your eyes can fool you they can fool you i had a case the other day here is your lesson to run a culture i had a case i was like oh it'll be e coli it was a daggum salmonella i still don't even know which one because i had to send it for pcr because it just came back when we get a salmonella we group it so i got Mm -hmm. the group and then i was like well, I don't really know what that's going to be, but it was clearly causing, you know, it had a beautiful, okay, we're going to talk veterinarian, beautiful pericarditis and the bacterial showering in the liver. And I was like, this is what's creating this illness. And the shake. So it was a pathogenic salmonella, which is a little odd. You know, we don't necessarily see that every day. So I'm still waiting. Here I am as a veterinary waiting on results, but that again is, I could have just looked at that and said, oh, it's E. coli, run some tetracyclines and be done. But this your lesson to run a culture. Yeah. So it's not always what it looks. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I have overheard people that say, oh, that looks like 
you know, whatever, like based on what the lesion looks like in the bird. No, you need to run a culture. Like, again, yeah. you thought it was foul cholera. And we see, I have seen several cases lately. We have, um, <clears throat> we've isolated this mostly in broiler breeders. This, uh, it's called Castellaniella. And it's just this odd bacteria and it creates like um, edema and swelling like in wattles. And again, looks like pastorella comes back as this totally other different bacteria. So run a culture. Don't assume what it is because these days you might be wrong. Like you're saying, you know, like erysipelas and we have all these going to cage free and outdoor access and. We have, you know, unusual bacteria like Campylobacter hepaticus and got to figure what, out what all those things are. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more, a lot more culture work done on layers in the yeah. U.S. in the near, near future, I think. Right. So in terms of, <clears throat> I, th- I think we've kind of covered that and we're kind of alluding to these, you know, changes um, in terms of, of cage-free and the type of production and, and, and where we're headed. Um how do you see veterinarians sort of, you know, fitting into that? And in terms of supporting that transition for the egg industry and, um, you know, I, I think we play an extremely important role. Um, so as a person who's dealing with those transitions, how do you see that happening over the next five years? Definitely straight up. I think more farm locations will need more vet visits, you know, directly by a veterinarian, but also, training service technician service technician type people production managers new skills on sampling uh being like we talked about earlier like having all the right supplies and those sort of things i mean there was cage cage uh, production facilities that didn't have disease challenges for five ten years at a time so you know on, on autopilot with their vaccine programs and things were phenomenal and so much of this with cage-free transitions is not going to be the same set it and forget it <laughs> kind right. of program. So uh, I think that there will have to be more veterinarians doing it and training people to do more hands-on work with disease programs for sure. I think that many of them are manageable, but we're going to have a lot, a lot of change of mindset on vaccine programs and it probably will change. It already has changed the way that layer vaccine programs will be done now and in the future. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Well, I think that that is a great place for us to wrap up. Any other fine uh, points of advice that you would have for um, layer vets? Any, well, anybody in the poultry industry in terms of being ready when something happens and you need to, to do a little sleuthing. Mm, probably is the same, the same thing, a theme as before when in doubt sample it. So great. we are, <laughs> we are, we as veterinarians are being fooled on the daily. So uh, definitely the, the farm service type people have, uh, are going to need to do a lot more sampling than, than just guessing on what problems they may have. So when in doubt, run the diagnostic. I think people have been afraid of either the cost or the shipping costs of diagnostics or the fear of never having done that diagnostic before. And those things kind of delay, you know, getting the program 
in line with where it needs to go. So when in doubt, run the diagnostics and run them early and actually use the information. Probably the big keys for me. Perfect. Okay. Well, thanks for making a return appearance on the Poultry Podcast Show. And uh, it was great to talk to you again, Dan. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.